This, this, this is straight, straight, straight out of Crumpton with your host, Greg Crumpton. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Straight Out of Crumpton. I'm Gabby Barr, and I'm here with Mr. Greg Crumpton himself. Greg, how are you today? I am doing wonderfully well. I'm uh, immersed in the HVAC culture today and yesterday and tomorrow at our what really is the Super Bowl of HVAC industry. Uh, we call it the ASHRAE AHR show. So I'm I'm just inundated with with good people and products and just kind of having a ball, uh, catching up with a lot of people. Uh, checking out some new technology and spending a lot of time on the refrigerant issues that are plaguing our industry right now. So getting some good data on that. But uh, glad to be here uh, coming at you from my lovely hotel room, as you can see in the background. Uh, I did I did straighten the bed out just where I didn't get heckled today. So <laughs> it's a good thing. So we got a, a great guest. Um, Looking forward to, to chatting with her and learning some more about her. So why don't you tell us who her is? Because typically that's how we start our show off. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, today's guest is a great one. Like you said, I would like to introduce Corey Whitney. She is business development manager at PSR Mechanical. Corey, how are you doing today? I'm doing excellent. Can't complain too much uh, other than the rainy day in Seattle. <laughs> well, that's a shocker. Nobody's <laughs> ever said that before. No, never. <laughs> well, Corey, thanks for uh, taking time with us this morning. I know that uh, you're up and, and at it early. It's uh, eight o'clock your time. So uh, what a better way to start the day than looking at my ugly mug. I mean, how can you beat that? So um, really do. I, I do appreciate you taking time. We we were together a couple of weeks ago, but we didn't get to spend a lot of time together one-on-one due to uh, everything that was going on and everything that we were doing. And um, so I'm looking forward to today to catching up and, and learning a little bit more and letting our folks learn a little bit more about you uh, and what you do um, for PSR Mechanical. And uh, why don't you kick us off and tell us a little bit about yourself and how you wound up in the beautiful HVAC, skilled trade, solving problems and bossing your boss around world. Well, um, I started in HVAC back in 2002. It was something I just kind of fell into. I'd been working for um, the dot-com industry that went dot-gone in about a minute and it was, uh, I was sales and sales support, and I had done sales in other industries. And so I had a friend of mine who worked for a, a headhunter who said, hey, I've got this company that's looking for somebody for selling HVAC service. And shoot, heck, if I even knew what that meant at the time. And I interviewed, and lo and behold, it's been 20, 20 some odd years. Wow. That doesn't seem like the dot-com was that long ago, but it really was, wasn't it? I, yes. I remember that era well. Um, we were right in the middle of building a big data center, and we were like halfway through it, and we came in one day, and everybody said, stop. We're not spending another dollar. It yes. was the weirdest thing. Uh, Gabby was probably like a gleam in her dad's eye at that moment, so she doesn't <laughs> know about that. but. That is it, it was, true. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that was you were just an infant when that happened, but uh, really a weird time. But, you know, I, I think that what that time also did was strengthen a lot of bonds with people um, because I find and, and like you, you know, the people that you knew in that industry really all kind of banded together and really helped each other find some creative jobs. Um, I was tell, I was just talking about the job that we had uh, at my company pre Service Logic, um, and I remember those people kind of coalescing around that that cause, and a lot of those folks helped each other find jobs either in adjacent industries or with OEMs, or it was kind of cool to see how that people uh, piece of that dot bomb uh, era played out and. I'm still friends with a lot of people that 
uh, new during that time in one role, and then now they've transitioned over into another. So very human, um, touchy-feely time in our, our past, for sure. But just, just like you were saying, Corey, I mean, that's how you wound up here is through a, through a, uh, a, a contact or a friend. So what does business development in Seattle for a mechanical contractor and proud to announce, I'll let you make the announcement too of your new endeavor, but what's that look like day to day? What do you do? How do you, how do you develop business in a world where, you know, people don't necessarily understand what we do every day? Well, I'll tell you what's probably unique about the HVAC industry is we're really recession proof, right? Um, we're a business that no matter what happens in the economy, good or bad, pandemic or no pandemic, we're a necessary service and people have to use us. What we find is in those pandemic times or times when companies aren't doing well, what you do is you shift your focus of your vertical markets that you would typically go after when you're trying to find new business. And new business for us always tends to be companies that are heavy industrial, light industrial, manufacturing process distribution, and commercial. And within that realm of commercial can be hospitals, schools, banking, um, owner-occupied businesses, you name it. And again, in a pandemic, you know, if, if uh, companies are laying people off or working from home, then you go after a different market that's doing really well, which could be food and grocery stores and, and, and manufacturing food, because in a pandemic, people eat and drink, right? So you just kind of have to think about where you're going after your business. Um, what we are doing at PSR is we are opening a new office. We're expanding into the Tacoma market. And we're doing that's, a golf, that's golf clapping. That's and it's great. It's it's really good for us because what what we find is when you're trying to service your clients, you're trying to get to them in your most effective and efficient manner. And so having a north and a south office really for us just means that we have a, an office for a technician to go to to pick up parts and pick up supplies. Um, it's easier when they live in that territory where their office is located. So it gives them some support and relief from long travel time to an office when they have to go in, that kind of thing. So for us, it really just gives us an opportunity to be um, and to service our clients more effectively and efficiently and then support them um, as well as the in-house or our own existing staff by providing them a location that's a lot closer to where their home is. So um, we're, you know, super excited about that. It's um, going to be hopefully completed in a couple months. And really what we're looking, you know, we have um, the building painted and all that stuff, but now it's just signage and really just putting our stamp on it. And we're in a great location, ready to serve the South End. And we're all super excited about it. We just can't wait for it to happen. You know, Having spent enough time in Seattle now to appreciate the North and the South, I didn't really think that was a thing, but it's really a thing with traffic. I mean, where you guys are located now, you're on the North end of the town, like literally. And then you go South, you go by the airport and then you keep going down to the new area. But man, that is like, between the ocean and the mountains and the airplanes, that is a narrow corridor to put a lot of people through. And uh, so we're, we're excited for you guys to have that um, South exposure. But, you know, Corey, one thing about your company that, it, you know, I really do enjoy is the culture that y'all have. And, um, the culture that, that PSR Mechanical has reminds me a lot of what my old company, Airtight, had back in the day, which was people-centric. You know, it was it's focused on the front line. Is the, what you really gave a good description of a while ago is the essential workers who are out there day-to-day -day making it happen, uh, taking care of our customers, meeting people, representing um 
and apparently saving the lives of dogs recently. Uh, we'll get into that in a minute, but uh, I think that does speak to the culture of what PSR is all about. How, how do, you know, me looking at it from the outside is one thing, but you being immersed in it, what, what's your, what's your internal view of, of how PSR is so people centric and, and people you know, I hate to use the word people friendly because we should be, but it's just based on good stuff, good, good vibes, good people. You know, how, do you, how does that hit you as a member of the team? Well, we're a fairly new management team to PSR. Um, there's been a lot of changes internally over the last few years, merely just uh, due to people retiring, right? So uh, I don't want to say the old regime necessarily, but that's exactly what it was. So we, um, David Parks, who is our president, was promoted about a year and a half. David has worked for PSR since he came out of the apprenticeship industry 26 years ago. I met David back in 2005 when we worked for sister companies. And his goal when he took over as president a year and a half ago was to create, make his team to make the PSR that he wants moving forward. And so he really um, took the people that he uh, knew he could work well with, um, put them in a position um, based off of experience and uh, capabilities and skill set. And um, just the fact that just were good people and he put them in a place where we could work together and build a team. And it's been really refreshing. I've worked for this is now my third contractor in 20 years. And I've enjoyed each company and learned a lot from all of them. Um, but this is the first place that when you go to work, you're really excited to be there. You like who you work with. You like who you work for. Um, we really try to um, be cheerleaders, you know, from the management team to support the team. When we sell something, it goes out to everybody in PSR to say, hey, look, we want another one. Um, we're super um, supportive of the support staff, you know, the techs. Um, we make sure we thank them every single time they help us with a lead um, for great service because maybe the call came in as a service call before we sold it as a service agreement. So we make sure we give the techs kudos. So there's a lot of recognition and reward verbally. And then, you know, additionally, in other ways uh, to the support team to thank them for everything that they do. But it, we're, we're kind of one of those companies that we believe that everybody is, you know, we're all here for each other. And if we all don't do our part, then we don't all have jobs. So making sure everybody's happy and supported um, is a big piece of that. And so it's just um, it's just a great place to work. And it's David likes it to be a very family oriented business. And trust me, he he cares about each and every individual employee and their family. It's great. Well, you know, even if y'all weren't part of, of Service Logic and I wasn't part of Service Logic, you're still a company that deserves kudos because of what y'all do. And, and I mean that, I mean, it's just a, it's a good vibe when I'm, when I get to go there and I say get to not have to, because <laughs> I, I, you know, I get to go there because it's, I feel like it's like-minded people doing, doing quality stuff. And I've known Dave for, you know, eight, nine years now. And um, he was a service manager, you know, when Neil worked there, and, and Neil did a great job and ran the company a certain way. And, you know, with, and it's, it's almost like a, a mosaic picture that each person, each president gets to set the tone of that company. And, you know, Dave's got his way of, of doing it. Uh, I'm fortunate to, to know his wife. And, you know, I know that I know that Dave outside of work and he's just a quality dude. And I think that comes through with the, the feeling of the company. And the other thing that I, I like to tell people about and, and our listeners, um, I want to say is 80 some odd percent of your field where your, your technicians started as a truck driver and worked all the way through their truck driver, their apprenticeship. And then they eventually turn into, you know, uh, journeyman. 
and they stay with y'all forever. You know, it's like you get the full cycle of someone's career from I don't know anything, but I have a driver's license and I have a good heart all the way through a journeyman that gets to serve customers for years. That That's part of your your customer base. I, I just love that model. Um, I think that that's what people enjoy working in. The people I talk to enjoy it versus, you know, some corporate crap where they're just a number. Um, so I don't know. I, I just, I think you'll have a great culture and what you said and how you recognize how um, fleeting that can be, you know, you really have to nurture that environment. It doesn't happen on its own. So being cognizant of it and taking care of that environment, super important. And I think y'all do a good job of that uh, through everything that you, you told us. So good stuff. All right. So PSR made national headlines last week. Were you there? I, I was not there. Uh, wow. I was actually in the office on Tuesday, um, and that happened on a Wednesday. So, of course, I just missed all the fun and an excitement by a day. <laughs> all right. So since you're closer to it than I am, tell us, tell the world what happened and, and how y'all responded to this, because it's so cool. So where our location is, we're right in, up in North Seattle on a very busy road called Lake City Way. And PSR has been there for, gosh, a long time. I can't even tell you how long. Um, but one of our neighbors happens to be a doggy daycare. And we can hear them. <laughs> you know, the dogs are outside playing it every single day. Uh, what had happened, though, was apparently there was... Um, a homeless individual trying to keep himself warm and caught one of the buildings on fire. Um, as a result of that, it, it's expanded into the doggy daycare. Now we've heard a couple different stories. It was the dryer vent and we heard a homeless individual. So we're not quite really sure where the, the full information is. All we know is the fire took off. It went into the building and this daycare houses shoot 80 dogs, probably on a daily basis. Um, you know, families drop off their animals to play and have a good time. And, and so anyway, um, we, we have a gated yard because we park, you know, vehicles and storage and stuff. But uh, us and a couple of the other neighbors saw the fire coming and people were kind of rushing out and fire trucks came out. And, you know, we're a very dog friendly group. Um, in fact, Greg Hagen brings his dog Wally quite often into the office and Wally's our, our mascot. So uh, we rushed out to grab the dogs from the dog daycare because there's no fencing outside when, you know, the firemen have to work. And we, uh, us and two other businesses brought them into our yard and into their building. And um, we just helped get some dogs out of a smoky burning building. That was pretty cool. I, I got uh, several different people were sending me text and images and video. And I'm like, holy crap, what's going on out there? Because I just left, you know, like the week before. So all that stuff was really fresh. And um, it was just really cool to see uh, Greg Hagen, you spoke to as your VP of operations. And um, I think he's, I think that's the right title, but that's what he does. Yeah. Um, and, you know, he's out there orchestrating, you know, like, <laughs> Directing traffic. Like General know. Patton is what he looked like, you know. <laughs> um, it was really cool to see how everybody pulled together. And, of course, uh, the news did a good job of covering you guys and, and really, I think, brought out the human side of, of what y'all were doing and why you were doing it. And me as a dog person, um, I don't have Wendy Williams with me this morning, which I'm missing her. She could be right here. But um you know, it was just, it was really cool to see how, how y'all responded to that. So fun stuff. Yeah. Every employee said that was probably one of the best days we've ever had. You know, I mean, you know, much, bunch of different dogs, all of them really great, you know, so not only did they get to get comforted, the dogs got to get comforted. Um, as a result, we had a couple of the dog owners over the next couple of days brought in donuts and cookies and all sorts of stuff to, to thank the employees for, you know, saving their dogs. And, and really it was just, it's one of those things that if you love and respect animals, you just do what you can to help because it's the right thing to do. But you know, you want to do it because you want to help. So, Corey, you know, the, the one of our 
I guess, thesis of our of our podcast is people and relationships and how all that goes hand in hand at work and at home or at play. And I think that just, you know, kind of speaks to what we were talking about a while ago with the culture of what you guys have in that, that nucleus family environment. And that's just, there was no question about what you were going to do. It was just a matter of who and how and when, you know, it was, y'all were going to solve the problem. And uh, I just love seeing that, man. It, it, it did my heart good that day. You know, as bad as it was traumatic for the owners, the damn dogs looked like they were having a ball. Yeah. And, and every, you know, everything worked out really well. You know, that's probably one of the things I like about PSR though. I mean, it, whether it's work for just doing work or just the people at work, we are all, um, you know, people of service. We want to be of service. We want to help everybody. We want to make things better. If we can, we want to provide a, uh, a service to people who need it, but we just want to do what's right. And that's just not something we typically see a lot in our industry. And so being in it as long as I have, I've seen a lot of companies who say they do, and then those who really do what they say they're going to do. And it doesn't happen nearly as often as you would hope or wish that it would. And that's, um, and that's interesting and challenging at the same time, but really leaves a unique path for us and our customer base and our loyalty um, of our customers and how we provide service to our customers has been just amazing to see. I have never seen um, in the three companies that I've worked, I mean, this is my third, but I've never seen the support we have from our customers just because we want to do what's right and we want to be of service. And that's what I think makes PXR so, uh, so great. Yeah, I, I agree with all that. And I, I think that and this is kind of like preaching to the choir because I think people who are genuine in our industry, uh, I'll speak to the industry. We hear a lot of stuff and we see all these promises and, you know, you read your competition's proposal and, you know, you, you blow through and you think 99% of it's BS because they won't do what they're committing to for the dollars that they've said they can do it because it's financially not possible, you know, because our industry all comes down to minutes per task. And if you're going to do X and to do it right, it takes this many minutes, whatever that task is. And I think though, that the people who appreciate what you guys have and, and what we are trying to build collectively as a company and what I like to build as a person and in, in a circle, is being different than that, you know, being ha having your differentiators speak for themselves and doing what you say you're going to do, showing up when you say you're going to show up, communicating, all those crazy things that we think are just courteous and nice and make good sense also make good business sense. And if, if you do them, um, you find yourself in some rarefied error because a lot of people aren't willing to have the discipline it takes to do it, to be in that in that same, uh, you know, comfort or, or a circle that you're in, that you're trying to create. And, you know, you see it with competition. You know, you, if you show up for a job walkthrough and there's two other companies or three other companies, whatever, it's so amazing at the difference that the rapport, the, the questions, the interaction with the customer, you can tell who's there for the right reason and who's there to satisfy a quota, you know, it's, uh, which to me is fine because I love quota kind of people because you can kick their butt all day based on performance. And, uh, it's just fun. I don't know. I, I just, I just find that, People that are genuine seek out people who are genuine, regardless of whether they're a competitor or not. You're all striving for better. And I, I think the more better we have, the better we all are. This is an industry that also has a lot of turnover. And that's just something that really starts to tell a story, right? So, you know, salespeople are salespeople and we all have a job to do. If you don't do it, you can be gone. I mean, we all know that that's just the way the world works and business works. 
But when you're in the HVAC world, there are so many promises of all these different companies that'll, you know, tell you you can make more, you can sell more. We're a construction company. Everybody knows who we are. You can just walk into a building, mention our name, and you'll get a service contract, you know, and, and that's really common. But what's not common is tenure and um, long-term employees, you don't see that a lot. And that starts to tell a customer a story. If you can't keep and retain your employees, if you can't keep and retain your salespeople, and if you're turning them over um, you know, every year or two, you get no experience, no job history, no customer history, you lose so much from the benefit of retaining great long-term employees because they have knowledge and history and relationship. And companies just don't get that. And that, I think, is sadly what changes a lot with a, a lot of the competition, but also with technicians and same thing. If you don't keep or retain your techs, you lose all that experience and that history. And, and that's usually what we see a lot of, um, in, at least in our market. And I'm sure that probably equates to most of it across the nation. Um, and that's, you know, their, their loss, our win. And, you know, that's what, you know, one of the things, not if all the things, um, that makes us different and unique is we really want to retain that because that relationship to that customer, that, that going above and beyond saying you're going to do what you're going to do, you know, that is, um, as much as I'd like to say it's unique, it, or not new, unique, it is unique that uh, co companies can do that because, um, you know, we just don't see that across our base with our competitors. But Corey, that brings up a really interesting point to me because I, I was having dinner with one of our partners last night, GPS Air, uh, the people who, who sell and, and distribute needlepoint bipolar ionization. So we were talking last night at dinner and the subject of a fella came up and uh, this, this guy was, I forget what role he had at a company, but he had like 20 two-year stints on his resume. So he worked somewhere for 18 months, 20, 24 months, and then boom, again, and again, and again. So I was thinking about that last night coming coming home. The current mo model or mindset is that people will have multiple jobs over their career. Um, I, I get that. I did when I was young. You know, you're trying to find out what works for me. What do I like to do? What am I better at? I get all that as a young person. I wonder, and this is probably not an answerable question. I know that. But as we move forward and the job hopping, for lack of a better word, is more prevalent, as it seems to be for Abby's age group is not committed to companies long-term thus far by their resume. You know, I mean, as they mature as a generation, they may change right now. That's not what they're doing. How does, I, I wonder how that affects our customers long-term um, and how they see co uh, companies like PSR. Um, that work to have long tenured relationships, but you're turning over people for absolutely nothing that PSR is doing or not doing just because it's a different generation. You know, like I said, I don't, I don't know that that's answerable, but I think it's just a question that we have to think through of what does that mean? You know, like does that in, does that make our record as businesses less favorable because our younger generation of workers are more transient or I don't know. I don't, I don't, I don't know. I, I think what we're going to have to do though, is really make sure we're finding the right fit for everybody. Right. Um, and as we're, you know, young and, you know, new to, business and working and that kind of thing, I, I think what you have to do is, um, you know, look at people's personalities and see what really fits their role. I think when companies have had turnover in the past with salespeople, it wasn't the right person for the right job. Uh, so, you know, we use a personality profile. I'm a 
big believer in it because if you get, you know, somebody who's more of an accountant type person into a sales role, you put a lot of pressure on them or you say, hey, this is your goal. This is what you have to sell. And here's your plan. And you need to go out and do it. If you're asking somebody whose personality is not designed to do that, you're going to put them, it's like a square peg in a round hole. It's not going to fit. It's not going to work. And it certainly won't last for very long if you get anything to work for them initially in the beginning. I, I think that by finding the right people for the right role, that will help. People also don't leave companies more often than not, they leave managers, right? So just because you can sell doesn't mean you should manage. Um, once you put a, a manager into a management role, they should have some sort of management training so they know how to promote, they know how to uh, nurture, uh, they know how to make people feel good about what they're doing, they know how to encourage them to do good work. But there's a lot of different pieces that I think will lead into why we do have a lot of uh, jumping and um, changing of jobs. So there are some things I think companies can do to help eliminate that. It doesn't still mean that it won't happen. The average life I've been told of a sales rep in, in an industry like this is about three to five years. I'm unique doing it for 20. I really like it. And that's why I still do it. But you just have to find people who are as passionate as you are, hopefully, and you teach them something about the industry and uh, you promote them and you encourage them and pay them, you know, pay them and treat them well, and hopefully they'll stay. But it doesn't mean that even if you do all of those things that it's going to happen. Well, and I, I want to get a, a Gabby's take on this, but before, before we do that, um, everything you just said about sales management is same for service management. Because our industry is riddled with the fact that we got it. Let, let's just say we have a really good technician and our old service manager retires. What do we do? We stick our best technician in a service manager's role with zero training. We just say, hey, Monday, you're the service manager. And they're like, what? What the hell does that even mean? And we we do that horribly over over our industry. And I think our company, uh, we've done a good job of recognizing that now. And some of the policy or some of the education offerings are specifically for taking a quality technician and helping them get to the next level if service management's in their future of how to do that with some skills. So I, I totally, totally agree with that. All right, so Gabby, you heard my rant uh, in a gentle way because it is what it is. I mean, I'm not making up that. You heard Corey's take on it. What about your young self? How does that, everything that I'm worried about, which is tenure, long-term customers being with you for decades, how does that play with the fact that your generation thus far has not shown that they want to be at the same company for an extended time. Yeah, I think um, I do agree with kind of the points Corey made. I think that one for my generation right now, obviously we're younger. So we're kind of dipping our toes in the water and trying to figure out, you know, what works best for us, where we fit, where we want to be and end up and things like that. So I think that's kind of an important step to recognize. I also think that my generation is more set on quality of life, I want to say. And maybe that's not the right term, but I think it's one of those things where my generation likes to be comfortable in the places that they're in, in their lives. And so if there's a company that um, maybe they don't feel like they're getting recognition at or any kind of anything like that, they're not getting the pay that they want or that they're looking for, they're not getting the hours that they're looking for. I feel like my generation's a lot quicker to kind of jump the ship on that one just because I think the mindset is kind of like there's something out there that better suits me and that is going to better align with exactly what I'm looking for and kind of like what I feel I deserve as opposed to, I feel like 
past generations, it was kind of one of those things where it was like, you had a job and you, you tough it out, you know, even if it's not the best job, even if, you know, management maybe isn't the greatest and you kind of have a few struggles day to day and things like that. It was one of those things where it was like, well, this is a, this is the job that I have. This is, you know, how I'm making my money, how I'm growing my experience levels and things like that. So I'm going to stick it out, tough it, tough through it. And, you know, see what comes from it, whatever, you know, that may be. Whereas I think there's a level of acceptability with kind of hopping around now that there didn't used to be. I don't think employers look at it in such a negative sense anymore. I definitely think if you have 20 different jobs and you haven't stayed at them for more than a year, an employer is probably going to give you a side eye when you're interviewing. But if you're kind of jumping around every few years to find the position that's right for you, I think it's definitely much more acceptable now to employers just in general in the hiring process, which I think also that kind of mindset shift has also kind of helped change the way that my generation acts and, you know, quits or moves on to a different role or anything like that a little bit quicker than maybe past generations have at this point in their lives. What do you think were the triggers for that um, shift in what you and your generation see as, as, you know, to me, it's almost like you're chasing utopia. Like when, when did, or what do you think some of the triggers were that, you know, people were able to say, well, I'm not going to accept that versus what you described about older generations of, of saying, hey, I'm here for the long haul, good, bad, or indifferent. What do you think occurred? Was that a historical events? Was it parenting? What, what's your take on it? How we got here? Um, honestly, I feel like that's that's hard to say. I think for everyone, it's kind of a little bit different. I think there is a level of parenting that's probably involved. I mean, for me, I'm kind of like, that weird five-year gap between the millennial generation and the Gen Z generation that's just like, nobody really knows what we do or what makes sense for us. And so I think it's one of those things where, um, for my parents, they definitely encouraged me to stick with something. You know, they made me play my viola for two years because they were like, you have to have at least two years of experience and things like that. So I definitely, there was an aspect that was, you know, don't be a quitter kind of thing. But it was also one of those things where I definitely was encouraged to, if something wasn't making me happy or, you know, something was just really not ideal for my mental health or anything along those lines, it was one of those things where, the idea kind of shifted from at that point, you're not being a quitter. You're moving on to find something that is better for you. And I think there is a level of, you know, now mental health is under such a microscope and everybody is talking about mental health and trying to be more aware of people's mental health. And it's really something that I think the older generations are kind of like, you're fine. You know, <laughs> I mean, even my mom, she's like, you're fine. Don't, don't worry about it. But, um, I think now it's one of those things where people are kind of doing more studies on it. They're realizing that, you know, mental health has a physical toll on your body. And I think my generation, just because of that knowledge and those new studies and things like that are very conscious of, the kind of states that they're putting themselves in and whether or not that's good for them. I do think there's a level of kind of, I think some people take it too far in my generation where, you know, they are searching for that utopia almost. And they're like, well, this isn't perfect. So I have to move on. And they're really just never going to find something that's completely perfect because that's not how it works. But I do think that there is definitely, um, a lot of people in my generation that are just kind of like, you know what, this is not a healthy work environment. The management is not, you know, 
doing their job or they're not treating me in a respectful and kind of professional manner that I would expect to be treated from management um, in my company. And so they kind of move on and they seek opportunities that better fit that bill and better suit them and their needs and their kind of mental capacity for going to work every day because work does, it does take a toll. It's, you know, work is hard. And so I think, you know, a lot of people, my generation are like, well, you know what, like work is going to be hard, but there should be aspects of it that we enjoy. And there should be people in our offices that we enjoy. And if there's not, then there's no reason for me to stick around kind of thing. Yeah, that that's, um, you know, what I get that and I appreciate it. And I do know, I mean, you watch the news today and we know we have mental health issues. There's no damn doubt about it. There's some sick puppies walking around. What we need to do is mitigate everything we can to, to obviously solve that. The difference is for me, what what you and your generation experience is you know when i was your age it was it was tough you know if you didn't if you didn't like it then you're just paying your dues you know there wasn't ever we weren't of the of a mindset where this wasn't good for my mental health my mental health was you got to make a damn house payment you got to make a car payment so it is what it is it's just an interesting dynamic that I have really, over the last year, enjoyed learning more about because it's so different than what, you know, my generation grew up thinking, you know. So the, the parallels are, there are a lot of parallels. I, when I was in my 20s, I job hopped. It was in the same industry, but I worked for different contractors to ensure what I wanted to do long term. And that was uh, ultimately wound up working for an independent contractor versus an OEM, basically. So I did it. We just didn't call it what you're calling it. And, and I was just doing it for different reasons because I didn't know we had a mental health crisis. I knew I worked for some crazy ass people, but I didn't know they were in a mental health crisis. So anyway, thank you for, for that uh, good insight. Corey, what, how do you, how do you handle that information? You, you deal with a lot of multi-generational folks, you know, you've got young people and you've got more seasoned folks. So what, you know, I, and, and let, let me, let me try to answer it. See how close I am. I think that knowing what I know about you and knowing that you are a fan of the disc and other personality profiling, you really try to match the skill with the person's uh, desire, what they're good at versus what the job requirement is. Am I close? Am I on the right track? You know, the, the thing is, is that we were all hardwired to do certain things, right? Things that we like to do, things that we don't like to do. If there's more of the things that we don't like to do than we do, we don't want to do them, Right. Uh, and especially if you're a younger generation, you know, we're, um, I've really learned uh, really from my best friend's daughters, right, who are now going into college and, and all of this kind of stuff. And I get such a unique perspective from all of them about what it is that they are looking for in their next career, what it is that they want to do it. And, you know, it, it, resounding sounds so much, you know, the same of we want to dip our toes in the water. We want to try different things. And we, and I think as employers, we understand that, but if you tip, tip your toe in the water and it's burning hot and you scald yourself because it's just not the right fit. It's just, it's just not going to work. So really using that is just to make sure that, you know, you can find something that people can do and they don't hate. And that's really the thing because, you know, I have a job to do as a sales manager. I expect, you know, my people to sell and they have to. And if they don't want to, because that's just not in them or cold calling is not what they want to do and they dread it every day. Good Lord. I uh, used to work for a company that if you didn't have your appointments every week without fail, we had a par meeting. We called it pain and ridicule from the sales team, but the management's called it performance and review. And it was a task. It was a chore. It was it was terrible. And so they lost a lot of really good people because they put people in the wrong role. 
And it's, you know, you just, you can't, you can't, like I said, put a round peg in a square hole. It just doesn't work. So finding the right people for the right job, encouraging them, you know, giving them opportunities to grow and learn and, you know, advance if they want and teaching them everything, if they want to learn it, you know, you can get a lot of good tenure with that. But, you know, young kids, you know, they're also very, um, they're financially driven, you know, they want to make more money, you know, I mean, that's a big deal for them. Um, but they also want to be encouraged. They want to be recognized. I mean, participation awards or not, you know, we all want to know what we're doing a good job. So it's just having employers that understand those things and recognize those things, but also sit down and communicate with your staff and ask them, what is it that you need? What do you need for me? What am I not giving you that you would like? Right. And, um, my daughter is a, uh, words of affirmation. And, um, you know, so it's just, you know, you got to kind of know who you're working with so that you can give them those things. This not only helps you find the right people for the role, but it also helps you manage and support your people, too, by giving them the things that they need so they can feel good about what they're doing. Well, just so you'll know, I'm an acts of service guy. Uh, so am I. <laughs> do what I don't want to do. <laughs> it's uh, what what I don't even remember. My wife taught me that. Uh, five love languages. Five love, yeah. So I know it's so dang crazy of what motivates us when you really stop and, and look at it. And, you know, we as, as, as senior people in business that are helping young folks get to their desired spot really have to think about that and not, you know, if I take the damn garbage out, that's great. My wife doesn't really care. Right. I, that's just how I perform. Right. She wants me to come over there and sit beside her and talk to her. You know, I have to remember that in business that just because I give somebody a, a great white paper on how to read a, you know, sling psychrometer, that does not make me a good dude to them. So uh, great, great stuff to remember as we're dealing with people because, you know, we've said it a million times in this industry, the machines don't care. You know, it's on or off for them. But the people are what make this industry so damn crazy and unique that, um, you know, we had that, last week, Corey, we had a, a chat GPT conversation and the, the fact that this industry is so human uh, dependent that we can't be automated because of a lot of the, the logistics and the, the cognitive processes that have to happen. I mean, once you get to the machine, sure, a machine could diagnose it, but getting to it is a whole nother thing. Um, but it's really, it's important that we think about our fellow workers and our fellow humans as we travel this crazy parallel path of the universe called HVAC. I've worked for some amazing companies over the last, you know, 20 years. And, you know, one of them was great with sales training. And what they used to say was, you know, we were relationship salespeople. And then that wasn't the case anymore. And then we all went to this challenger sales and you need to be a challenger salesperson. You need to challenge people to think differently. And they told me relationship sales is not the way to be anymore. And that's what you are. And you'll never be successful long term doing that. And BS I, on that. I call BS on that. And I'm still here 20 years selling to people who, you know, I have one client who have left five jobs and has brought me with him to every company he has gone to. And so I call BS on that particular thing, but it's the human element. It's people. People are what sell your company. People are what make your business grow. And if you don't know how to support your people and talk to your people and nurture your people and encourage them to stay long-term, you're not going to have those long-term customers because they will go if you go. So it's just something that, you know, we have to learn and we have to learn to understand the younger generation. You've got to be willing to listen. And that's hard because we're, you know, that's just not how we were raised. Right. But it's, it's now understanding it's more than just you. It's about everybody else. And my husband, you know, he's, he's, uh, uh, in management, 
Uh, and, you know, his where he works, they're terrible about providing training as well. Initially, when you when you're promoted. And that's the one thing that I just tell every company, if there's anything that they can do to help manage their people better is teach the managers how to help manage and how to help support and use these things like DISC to understand your people's needs. Communication's key, not only in a marriage, but at work. And if we don't talk, if we don't find out what works for us and what doesn't work, we're not going to retain those long-term employees. We're not going to grow our businesses and we're not going to grow our customer base. It's just, it's about people. And if we don't figure that out, we're just not going to, we're not going to be around for very long. Okay. What Corey just did was equivalent of this. <laughs> That's a mic drop. And Corey, that was, that was awesome. Well said. Uh, and, and a good uh, kind of a cap as we're up on our top of the hour here, we got to roll. But um, that, that, everything you just said right there was spot on for a lot of different reasons, a lot of different industries, and in particular for anything that has humans associated with it, which is everything. So well done. Thank you. So we are, we are uh, right up on our time. So um just what a great conversation, ladies. Thank y'all so much for, for taking time to talk about, uh, I told you, Corey, we wouldn't have a problem figuring <laughs> out what we're going to talk about because we always figure out something fun to talk okay. about. And, yes. you know, I think anytime that we can explore how to make people's uh, jobs and lives better and, and remember we're projecting into the future because we don't know what next year looks like yet. So we're making these, these calculated decisions on people and on positions and on job roles and all this stuff based on what we think. We don't even know yet. So it's really fun. But regardless, thank you all both for taking time and uh, really enjoyed this one. Thank you, Gabby. It was nice to talk to you too. It was great talking to you and meeting you as well, Greg. A great conversation as always. And to close, everyone, thank you so much for joining us on another episode of Straight Outta Crumpton. Make sure to go subscribe for more episodes like this. You can check out Spotify or Apple Podcasts. And be sure to check out gregcrumpton.com for all your Greg Crumpton content.